0: hey welcome to the edge show this is edge show episode number 134 my name is Rick Claus, and today I'm going to be joined by Ben Armstrong good to be here hey thank you for taking the time off to yeah. uh, come by for a chat
1: yeah I found the building which is a good start
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a high security building
1: yeah I had I had to look it up yeah. um, I did make a mistake when I entered the the, the search just before coming here I bought up web search I'm like building number but, but but I forgot to put in Microsoft oh yeah and so, got some interesting results, but I got here eventually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. Uh, in case you don't know, Ben Armstrong, uh, we just had a chat a little bit earlier on, is uh, one of the longest-serving team members of, uh, I guess, is it called the Hyper-V team?
1: Uh, is it called, well, we call ourselves the Hyper-V team. Right. Um, and I believe that may actually technically be our name. We have at times been things like the core virtualization team, or Windows virtualization, or d- all sorts of long wordy yeah. names. But let's go with Hyper-V. Nice. Do you,
0: do you know who named Hyper-V? I, is that a
1: curiosity? Is it, there's a great history here, um, so uh, I have to tell the story. Okay, now. no go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, we were we when we first started working on Hyper-V. The the working title was the Oh So Creative. Um, Windows Server Virtualization Technologies.
0: Oh, sounds like it was named by Microsoft.
1: Roll, rolls off the tongue. Um, the first proposed name was actually a VertiFlex, <laughs> which got laughed out of the ro- uh, room with a certain senior member of the company saying, it sounds like exercise equipment. Nice. <laughs> um, so thankfully, VertiFlex didn't happen. Um, then for a period, it was going to be called uh, OneCore. No, it wasn't 1Core, it was vCore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turned out that that was patented somewhere. Yeah. Um, I honestly can't remember who actually came up with Hyper-V. I believe it was one of our marketing team, but yep. their original proposal was actually Hyper-V without the hyphen. Oh, yeah? And it was actually uh, John Howard uh, on the, the program management team mm-hmm. who pointed out that without the hyphen, everyone would say it was hyperv. <laughs> uh, and so he is personally responsible for the addition of and the down, hyphen. At the least, yes. Uh, and then it became Hyper-V. Oh, nice. And, and it has been ever since. Nice. Oh, very cool.
0: I think uh, I haven't heard that full story. Um, I did... We,
1: we do joke about Vertiflex to this day. <laughs>
0: Vertiflex. I'm going to remember that. That's going to be like a new hashtag people yeah. can use. Hashtag Vertiflex. Yeah. Uh, and there I, wa-
1: it was actually, uh, prior to being Windows Server virtualization technology, it was actually codenamed Vertiflex. That makes sense. So Many, many, many names.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. But uh, we have you here mainly because there's an internal technical conference that happens to be going on this week. It's yep. called Tech Ready. It's all about stuff that we're not allowed to talk about on the show.
1: And so I'm here to talk about all those things. Yes. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> not, no. Not so. Not, um, not
0: so uh, likely. I, I do want you around, and I want to be around as well. I won't open this laptop. Okay. Uh, so during those conferences, including the, you know, the the new one Microsoft Ignites or the previous incarnations really of various different conferences, um, they uh, they would always have a session that was called "What's New in Hyper V." Yep. And so I figured. Um, hmm. I don't think we've had that subject covered specifically with the technical preview release of uh, Windows Server. So, what's new with with Hyper-V or VertiFlex? Uh, 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 There's so much new with VertiFlex. Now, you guys call it TP1, right? Yes. For technical preview 1. Yes. Okay, so what's new in TP1?
1: Um, So, the first thing to be clear about is we have, as we've just alluded to, a lot of really cool top-secret stuff coming in the mm-hmm. next release of Windows Server, which I'm not going to talk right, about here. Right, I'll, I'll hit the beep, beep, beep button, and beep it just won't beep. work. Beep. We'll have an outtakes reel at the end. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. <laughs> nice. uh, so the, the technical preview one is just that. It's a preview build. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So we have we have a couple of things which are lit up end-to-end and are really exciting to see. We have a couple of things I can point to, and I can say... This is part of a, a bigger picture that we're working on, and here's the first progr- pro, uh, process. A little
0: tiny bit of it or something like that? There
1: are a couple of things that I can point to and be like, right now, this, <clears throat> this isn't connected to anything, but right. hey, cool. Um, and there are definitely some areas where we, there's nothing in the build because we got cool stuff coming. Okay, okay. so how about um, top of your list,
0: top item? So, so it's something someone should pay attention to if they're playing around with TP1 uh, right now today in their labs? In your labs, not in production, right? Labs. Labs, Got absolutely.
1: It. Unless your labs are production. Good. Uh, so the, the top thing, this is something we've had a lot of us for, we're really happy to, to finally be there, is the full support for seamless, zero downtime, rolling cluster upgrade. Rolling,
0: okay, yes, yes, rolling cluster updates.
1: So what this is, is uh, in the past, we've done live migration of virtual machines. In 2012 or two, we right. did cross-version live migration. But it was one direction, and it wasn't really integrated with clustering that well. Mm -hmm. Now, with TP1, what you can do is you can take a a cluster of any size, Mm -hmm. running 2012 R2, and you can go through and one node at a time upgrade to TP1, and we'll live migrate VMs around. We'll do this all with no new hardware, with no downtime. The whole process goes through. At any stage, you can actually roll back. Okay, because we now support live migration in both directions. you can actually even entirely upgrade a cluster to t p one and then be like oh that 's right, Rick and ben said don't do this in production, and that 's my production cluster so you can roll back. and then you can roll it back in in a panic and hurry <laughs> um, and your virtual machines will will stay running the whole time, okay, so literally. If I have a three-node cluster, I can not even do anything
0: in Cluster Manager. I can just go into node number one of it, pop in the CD, slash DVD, slash
1: USB, slash ISO. So, so the process that we're recommending for TP1, okay. we're still refining this, of course. Yeah. The process, any size cluster, three-node, great yeah. example. Go in, like, pick a node. You want to evict it from the cluster. Okay. And then just format, reinstall, set it up as TP1, join it to the cluster. Oh, okay. And just rinse and repeat. And so you, once it's already up and running, you basically have two
0: nodes at 2012 R 2 yep. and one node at TP1. Yep. You then can take the workloads from node number 2 or 3, whichever one it is, move them back move over? Yeah. Just, like, move I, them over. Clustering but will... The, you
1: choose best possible node. and yeah. move them over. Clustering will actually do this automatically for you. So you once you, like, if you evict the first node, clustering will live-migrate those VMs off you format reinstall, join it, go to the next node, evict. It'll load balance and sort them out. Yeah. Live migration, zero downtime. It's all beautiful. Okay. It it works far simpler than you would expect. See, I didn't even know this. And so now yeah. I'm
0: going to go back to my lab.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. It out, so. and, and we've we've enabled a bunch of other cross-version scenarios as part mm-hmm. of this. So you can do live migration between clusters in both directions. So if you have... A 2012 R2 cluster, a TP1 cluster. Mm-hmm. You can live migrate there and back, all day long. Two separate clusters. Yep. yep. Okay. So that works. Um, everything works. And the, I guess fantastic. so. The background for why
0: you were doing this is just really to make it easy, and also to make it basically transparent to be able to get your migrations moving to the newer stuff when it becomes
1: final release, not
0: in production. It's TP1s it's not production. Yes. Uh, but when it's in final release, to be able to move the nodes around, move their work around. the workloads
1: around. The two big things, and, and you've touched on this here. The first thing is we want to make it just really easy and lightweight to deploy the next version of Windows Server. Mm-hmm. We want this to be a no-brainer.
0: I mean, it was, it was kind of a step already when you went from 2012 yep. to 2012 R2. Yep. And so now it's just that next level.
1: Yeah, we, we want you know, the, we want this to be something simple. You won't have to write a purchase order to get hardware. You won't have to, like, coordinate things and so on. You have to get licenses, though.
0: Get licenses but I'm, of I'm
1: assuming if you're a volume licensed yeah, customer then or cover you've got SA or whatever it is so the, the second thing is and I just one of the things I love about designing software is when you hit that moment where it's like you know what we're going to design the software this way because that's just the way people are <laughs> and this is a great example here because like God bless all your people out there but all you people who run Hyper-V and manage the fabric and Mm -hmm. are fabric administrators, you don't talk to the people who run workloads in your VMs. (laughs) And they don't talk to you. And if we ever design software where in order to make things work those two groups of people have to talk, this is not a happy place. So we've done all this work so that the Hyper-V guy who plays with the hardware doesn't have to go out and tell you know all the all the people who is providing virtual machines for like hey I'm going to to upgrade he mm-hmm. can just go and do it nice. you know, and 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 trust that you know the users aren't going to be aware mm-hmm. like you get to take advantage of new functionality um, it's win win okay so really happy to see that. very very cool technologies
0: for the, that's just baked in all set to go and um, yeah another one that we were talking about out in the studio while we were waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which dealt with, um, I'm not sure how you'd kind of describe it, like dealing with failure or unreliability. How would you kind of, how would you uh, talk about that for what you're allowed to talk to you on the NTP1? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So first, some high-level framing. Yeah. And this is something I've been talking about for a while now because this is something we've been thinking about for a while, is five, six years ago, mm-hmm. ago old guy, I've been working on virtualization forever.
0: That's ancient. Ancient,
1: <laughs> ancient. Uh, uh, we would design virtualization solutions with the assumption that, like, hey, you're you're an enterprise wanting to do a private cloud. You're going to go out and pay top dollar for good hardware, mm-hmm. and we can put the onus on you, the customer, to say, hey, your hardware needs to be rock solid. And if something goes wrong with your hardware, um, then pff, like, I'm a software guy, yeah. and that's a hardware problem. Yeah. Uh, but the world's changing. It's changing in a couple of ways. One, you know, as you know, cloud, public cloud, private cloud, hybrid cloud is growing momentum, people are trying to figure out, how do I do this with commodity hardware? Mm-hmm. The second thing is, as we're pushing the boundaries of the, this technology, people's expectations about uptime are going up. People's you know, requirements of their hardware is going up. Mm-hmm. And today, when I talk to customers, if I go, and this is... Let me tell you, this is always an unpleasant conversation. <laughs> I, I, I love having unpleasant conversations with, with people, but I, I do this quite frequently, is I will go and meet with customers. And if the salesperson is present, they hate me for doing this. I'll go like, so you're a happy customer. Tell me the last time it all fell apart. Like, let's sit down <laughs> and let's talk it's, about... Let's open like, up that can of worms. Let's open up that can of worms. Let's talk about the last time you got the 3 a.m. call because it all fell apart. Mm-hmm. And what we hear quite often is, like, something went wrong with the hardware and, you know, uh, this, the whole system fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so we've actually been putting a lot of thought and a lot of effort into, well, how can we design a cloud compute solution so that even when the hardware is going bad mm-hmm. life is good. And that's a high goal. Yeah. You know, and so there's there's some new functionality in TP1, which is just this is and just be clear, this is just one piece of the, the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I think this is really cool. It's a functionality that we call cluster VM resiliency. Because we've been out talking to people, understanding, like, what sort of hardware failure do you see and, and what problems does that cause? Now, today, clustering is designed that if anything goes wrong, it panics. Yeah. You know, it's DEF CON 5. We've got to get those VMs up and running. Throw the flag,
0: go into panic mode, and start dealing yeah. with stuff before it actually gets crazy.
1: Which, in some cases, that's what you want it to do. Yeah. Um, however, a, a common story that we hear is, you know, I have my Hyper-V cluster, i got a, a bunch of virtual machines, and most of the time it's fine, and then one day, like, the stars aligned, and there was a firmware bug in some piece of my networking gear, and just, blip, networking went away for 30 seconds, and then, blip, it came back. And because of that, clustering went and shut half a dozen VMs in the head and started them up, and, like, <laughs> them, like DEFCON 5. Yeah. And that's where we get customers being like, argh, like, this made things worse. Okay, because it came back in 30 seconds yeah. ago, right? So to try and deal with this, we've actually introduced uh, two new concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is the concept of an isolated cluster node. And what this basically means is if we're running along and everything's fine and then one cluster node stops responding, rather than hitting the big red button, DEFCON 5 straight away, we will say, like, okay, a node's gone isolated. We're going to wait. This is configurable in Mm -hmm. the build. Um, The default is two minutes. Uh, We're going to wait and see if it comes back. And well, we show you through the UI. We say that the, the nodes isolated, the virtual machines are unmonitored, yeah. and so on. You see some event logins. Yeah, like that. all the usual jazz. Yeah. If it comes back, we just heal, and everything's back to normal. Okay. So if if you have a thirty second blip with you know Tech Preview One, mm-hmm. you're not even going to know it happened unless you go and look at the event logs okay. afterwards. So that's the first bit. But the bit that I think is really cool is. What happens if you've got uh, a, a network adapter in a node where the network adapter it's on its lost legs and it's failing? Mm-hmm. Well, what we tend to see is a behavior that like hardware and software nerds like to call flapping. <laughs> I just love saying that phrase. It seems so appropriate. <laughs> do, sir, do you know that your cluster node is flapping?
0: <laughs> That's a rather personal question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the, the behavior is basically like you have a node that's coming, it's going, it's coming, it's going, it's good for, you know, 10 minutes, and then it's gone for 30 seconds and so on. In, in the world of, you know, resiliency and availability, this sort of behavior is one of the most destructive things you can see because right. it just confuses everything. Yep. What we've done is we've built in a whole logic around handling that. So if we see a node going into isolated and coming back, going into isolated and coming back. We keep track of that. Mm -hmm. And if we see it happen past a certain threshold, say, no more than three times in an hour, we will put that node into a new state which we call quarantined. And what quarantined means is the next time that guy comes back, we're going to live migrate all the VMs off. it. <laughs> we're going to clear out. We're going to go, we don't trust you yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to move any new VMs on there. And we're just going to watch that node with no workload on it. Mm-hmm. Now, if it continues to flap, if it's coming and going and so on, it's going to stay in quarantine. And you're going to come in and be like, oh, I've got a node quarantine. If he manages to actually stay healthy for
0: a period of time? Yeah, if he, if, he he stay, yeah
1: if he stays healthy for a period of time. So he gets to come off Alice Island. Exactly. Something like that, right? Yeah, we, we let it back in. So to spell this out, though, what this means is, you know, imagine that, you know, if you're a fabric admin for an enterprise. You manage a medium-sized Hyper-V cluster. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past, if you had a, a network glitch... Happen at 1 a.m. in the morning, and for an hour, ports were kind of wiggy and things were going out. In the pause, like that was a phone call. Phone calls, pagers,
0: and, emails, and that
1: was a bad day. Yeah, like you were going to spend the rest of your day cleaning up, like ah, uh, you know, VMs got turned off and things are weird and what's happening and so on. This is not a good day. Mm-hmm. Tech preview one, you're going to sleep through that. <laughs> And all this is going to be for you is when you get up in the morning and you're at work with your cup of coffee and you're looking at Ops Manager, you're going to be like, oh, there are some interesting event logs. Something happened. That, that's And cool. then move on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. And well, I guess it kind of makes sense from a, just from a networking perspective because in my experience working with hardware, it tends to be the NIC cards that are onboard NICs yep. or add-on NICs that tend to go after a while. I haven't had too many switches go on me. Uh, that's more of a major thing. But I've always seen the Knicks kind
1: of go... I, I, go I, with apparently, I have the curse for the switches. curse of switches, yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I will say, like, it's, it's one of the things when I'm speaking in front of a crowd like TechEd, I, I love to... Not only do I like to ask the awkward questions in person, I love to ask the awkward questions. When you're in a, speaking in front of in, five, in, six hundred people. Ind- exactly. Writers, right? And one of the ones that I've, I've frequently done is I'll be in front of a bunch of people and I'll be like, okay, show of hands, like how many people in the last six months have had a moment where just for 30 seconds, just for no particular reason, the network went away? Like, everyone. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> it, it It does.
0: I can definitely see how that can wreak havoc. Because uh, having to go into a panic state with a node, and then terminate a VM, and then try to reinitialize that VM, it's yep. going to come up as if it was a hard power. E- exactly. Approach. And then all exactly. the workloads on top of that, SQLs freaking yep. out and replaying yep. logs yep. and everything. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's you know, not a happy state. And not as out. I said. And, and we've got more technology on oh, yeah. that front coming, so I'm but really excited. We're not talking about it. Secret technology. It's, it's later at some other time. This is where I do some lip syncing and they beep out there.
0: <laughs> we could probably do that. We'll see if we can get some beeps in there. Uh, so, so we did, we did the, the seamless cluster upgrades yep. and, and rolling upgrades. Yep. We did the, the anti-flapping technology of, uh, <laughs> of TP1. We're going to
1: trademark that name. Here you go,
0: anti-flapping technology. I like that. Uh, how about another one? You got time for another one?
1: There is so much stuff. Dude, uh, we don't have that much time. Left. I know. There's, there's lots of little stuff that okay. just, I really love because I like when we get to do little stuff that just makes people's lives easier. Okay. So let give, me it, just give it those. try and go down the, the, the popcorn list, okay. as it were. Um, we've added the ability to hot add and remove network adapters. Oh, okay. So, you know, you got VMs running. Like, how many times have you, like, created a VM, like, bop, bop, start? Like, you're halfway through, and you're like, ah, I needed three NICs in this.
0: I got to attach it up to be able to get access to my Internet network, yeah, or yeah, my, yeah. my back-end network. So now from.
1: you can hot add and remove on-demand. So convenient. Okay. Um, we've added the ability to hot resize the, the memory of a virtual machine, even if you're not using dynamic memory. So, you know, we have dynamic memory feature. A lot of people love it, but then we have the customers who are like, I got a workload, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to use dynamic memory for it for whatever reason. But now I'm annoyed that, like, I sized it wrong, and I need to adjust. Well, now you can. And that's both up and down. You know, you can tweak, tune Mm. to your heart's content. Obviously, provided you have enough. Resources available yeah, you do need right. to have the physical memory, <laughs> uh, but we actually we do work with physical hot add as well. Okay. So you could like this pretty esoteric hardware, but you could physically hot add memory and then add memory to the provided the, the, the your hardware yeah. supports hot add memory. Yeah. Um, some other just like popcorn ones. I, really simple. A lot of people have asked for it. Some happy to have it in there, as we now have full support for alternate credentials throughout all our UI. Oh, okay. Uh, so common scenario we hear about, you know, I'm running Windows on my desktop, I have Hyper-V enabled, I'm managing a cluster mm-hmm. where, like, I don't log into my desktop with the account that has admin rights on right. the cluster. Right. You know, in the past, that's been a real pain. Now, when you connect to a Hyper-V server that's just a checkbox to say, like, use this user account, mm-hmm. and away you go. Okay. Very nice to see. Um, another one, and this is kind of interesting, is a, a feature that we call production checkpoints. Um, and this has a long history to it. Okay. So when we first designed checkpoints. Snapshots or checkpoints? They used to be called snapshots. So I want to get that in. Yes, we <laughs> did. it used to be called, don't, like don't <laughs> discuss don't go there, the don't war. Go there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they used to be called snapshots, they're now called checkpoints. Yeah. Uh, I had one dev who petitioned for them to be called check shots. Check shots. Uh, we said no to that. It's, uh, it's probably
0: one of those online petitions somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So
1: they're checkpoints. Okay, checkpoints.
0: Um, so uh, it's different than a regular checkpoint where you just go ahead and choose the machines and say checkpoint or in VMM or wherever you're so, doing it.
1: So uh, the the background here is when we first designed checkpoints, we uh, we really explicitly sat down and said, you know what? This is a great feature for dev test guys mm-hmm. in labs and and on their on their laptops and so on. And we designed it specifically for that scenario. Mm-hmm. And we we released Hyper-V and we documented, hey, checkpoints. Well snapshots. Yeah. Uh, checkpoints, they're a great feature for dev test, not recommended for production. Right. So what happens? no one listens to us, and everyone uses them in production. Right.
0: Great. It's like, would you put that in the terms of service or something? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we put it in this thing called TechNet. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, not only did everyone not listen to us, but like issues using checkpoints in production became one of our top support right. roles. generators. I
0: was about to say, that's, that's one of the things for uh, Active Directory VM Gen ID, as an example.
1: So, what we've been doing is, basically, ever since we've had Hyper-V, we've been slowly chipping away at making checkpoints more production-friendly. Okay. Uh, so, in, uh, you know, in... Windows Server 2008 R2, we changed where we stored the files and some of the naming to help people with with some support calls. In 2012, the big thing was we finally added the ability to do live merging of checkpoints so when you deleted them, they went away and you didn't have to turn them off. And in 2012, we also did the the work with the Active Directory team so that they're now aware of checkpoints and so on. Um, While all this was going on, we've been spending a lot of time talking to people and being like why <laughs> why are you doing this why are you using checkpoints in production like tell us um, easy. and uh, so the the really interesting thing was like we see a very different use pattern for production users than dev test. Right. The dev test we like see like the big tree of checkpoints and like, here's the checkpoint where I installed, i.e. this version with Word, this version. This was the hotfix, this was the hotfix, yeah. this
0: was the registry change. This and, the other and
1: that's what we originally designed it for. Right. When we started talking to people about it, like, why are you doing this in production, what are we doing? The first thing that jumped out was, they only ever have one checkpoint. Kind of interesting. And so we stepped through and the story that we always heard was like, well, here's the deal. I, I've got my production server, and I'm about to do something dangerous. I'm going to apply a hot fix. I'm going to make a configuration change, whatever. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I take a checkpoint as a safety net, and then I try my thing. And most of the time it works, and right. it's safe, and so on. But I leave the checkpoint around for a couple of days just as a safety net. And if something goes wrong, I can roll back to the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And if all's good, I delete the checkpoint. So, first, like, observe like, when we came across this, I'm like, so what you just described to me is a backup restore scenario. Yeah. And people would say, well, people would say like, well, yeah. I'm like, so why aren't you using backup restore? And they were like, because if I back up... That's making a whole copy of the VM and restoring. It's bringing it all back. It's this big heavyweight thing. Whereas checkpoints, it's so easy and lightweight and so on. I, and, I
0: agree. I concur with that. Yeah.
1: And then they would come back to me and be like, hey, why are you so down on checkpoints? Like, they're great. And I would have to explain to them, well, the way we've designed checkpoints, when you roll back, we actually roll back the virtual machine to that exact point in time. Mm-hmm. And if that's a server with a bunch of network connections, it's all those network connections are gibberish now. Right. You know, right. all those clients are gone. Tickets
0: are expired. Tickets are expired. Ordnance There's mode sessions.
1: Yeah. So what we've done, I'm really excited about this, is in Tech Preview 1, we have the concept of production checkpoints. Now, we actually default to turning production checkpoints on. We have UI where you can go back and say, no, I'm old school. I want the old school checkpoints. I did proposed that as the name. They didn't go with it. So it's the standard checkpoints. We have standard and production, not old school. Nice. There's only so much you can do. So you can still say, you know, I want standard checkpoints, and you get all the behavior we, uh, we have today. But what we do with production checkpoints is the first thing is, when you've got production checkpoints enabled, the user experience for you, Rick, and for anyone else out there, is exactly the same. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. No, you run your VM, you take your checkpoint. Burp, 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 burp. Fine. Is it a different button that I have to press? Nope.
0: It still says same button.
1: Okay. Like just exactly sure. the same. Like Can no. Like a, a small button for old school,
0: and then a big one for no, production.
1: No. No. It's nothing's nothing's changed. Okay. But crucially, when you have production checkpoints enabled, now when you go take that checkpoint, rather than grabbing all the virtual machine memory. What we actually do is, inside the virtual machine, we use VSS to quickly take a backup. And it's just as fast as taking a standard checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And it same user experience. But now, if something does go wrong on your SQL server, and you're like, ah, i got to apply the checkpoint. Instead of taking your SQL server back 15 minutes in time with all the connections and so on, when you apply that checkpoint, SQL goes like, oh, I've been restored from a backup. Oh, so it's used the handler
0: from VSS. Yes.
1: Okay. So it delivers so it's a different behavior for the apps and workloads. Exactly. Right and all the apps are aware that, hey, I've just been restored from a backup. The user experience is exactly the same.
0: Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, so I'm I, happy to see that. I, I like that. Mm? That's not a popcorn, man. That's almost as as exciting as the uh, I'm not going to say the flapper one, but I'm going to say the uh, the first one. See, the, I, d- uh, I, d- the rolling cluster upgrades. I
1: defined popcorn by how much work it took us, and that was actually really easy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you had to
0: re-engineer something new, like VM Gen uh, ideas. That, 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 like that.
1: that was one of those moments where it's like, hey, given that we've built A, B, C, D, and E, yeah. we can put this together
0: <laughs> quite easily
1: and slap a feature name on it. <laughs>
0: so the production checkpoint it's enabled by default it's in TP1? enabled by
1: default in TP1 okay um it's actually yeah looking forward to to getting feedback on it, wow seeing how it goes that's cool man well we are out of time so we had your popcorn
0: features plus the two and I would say almost a third one as well uh for that's that uh, I think I'm
1: gonna have to wrap up though man. yeah it's been great chatting well, I want to say thanks for coming by again. yeah and, and uh, I look forward to being able to tell you about cool secret stuff Yep. at some some later in the future in the
0: future we'll have him will have you back uh, at some point in the future we can't even tell you when or what or whatever because I'm not privy to that and he's not allowed to tell me uh, so that's in the it. future just yeah keep mm. in the future uh, and with that I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us um, and I'll be back in just a moment to wrap this guy up Man, it's always fun having someone like Ben come by and chat. Uh, We should do that more often. Uh, Thank you for joining us on The Edge Show, uh, episode number 134. Uh, If you have any comments about this particular episode, feel free to reach us down below inside the comment area. You can also reach us on the Twitters if you're interested, at sign TN Edge for the show. You can reach me personally at at sign RicksterCDN. Or hey, if you want to tweet out and say hello over to Ben, his name is at sign VirtualPCGuy, all one word. Uh, to let them know what you thought of the show as well. Um, You can catch us on Facebook at Channel 9 Ed Show, facebook.com slash Channel 9 Ed Show. And you know what? How about uh, we just say we'll catch you next week for episode number 135. Have a good day.